You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Before we get to the show, uh, a lot of people are writing, sending emails, calling me uh, in the last few days to ask me what I think of. The verdict in the Rutgers case, the verdict that came down last Friday uh, where Darren Ravi was found guilty basically on all charges uh, including bias crimes uh, for his actions that some people say led to or contributed to or preceded Tyler Clemente's suicide. Tyler Clemente was the 18-year-old Rutgers student who threw himself off the George Washington Bridge uh, in September of 2010 shortly after Terry and I started the It Gets Better project. And uh, in the wake of his uh, private sexual encounter with another person being streamed over the internet uh, by his roommate, Robbie. And people wonder what I think. And I've kind of kept my counsel and kept my mouth shut uh, in the run-up to the verdict because uh, I didn't want it to seem like the It Gets Better project was weighing in or baying for blood or – wanting to change anyone's minds or change anyone's opinions. But I believe, and as I wrote shortly after uh, Tyler Clemente's suicide and after Ravi and his friend uh, Molly Way were arrested, that it seemed to me to be an unseemly rush to pin all responsibility and all blame for Tyler Clemente's suicide on these two idiotic teenagers who did something foolish uh, and cruel but could not have known the consequences of their actions. And to me, it seemed like and still does post-verdict, seems like a, a massive attempt to shift all blame onto the shoulders of this one foolish teenager, 18 years old, fresh out of high school, did something stupid. And I can't imagine, I, I don't believe that just that single action caused, prompted um, Tyler Clemente to take his life. There can be a trigger. Maybe it was a trigger. But other people, institutions, individuals, churches set Tyler Clemente up. Tyler Clemente was failed by by his faith, failed by teachers, failed by institutions, may have been bullied all his life. And this was the last straw. And I just think that it's unfortunate that society feels it must sacrifice uh, this other person, young person's life on an altar of retribution, really in a sense to wash itself clean of the sins, uh, of the failures that contributed, that, that, that many people in institutions contributed to setting Tyler Clemente up like this. Uh, that's really all I want to say. Um, I think it's tragic and unfortunate. Uh, all around, um, crucifying Ravi is not going to bring Tyler back. And crucifying Ravi, although it's giving some folks uh, in the last few days a sense of satisfaction, uh, is not going to make the world a better and safer place for LGBT kids. Uh, finding the person who sent the last insult over Facebook or Twitter, uh, did the last bit of uh, cyber harassment, finding the person who landed the last punch that drove an LGBT kid over the edge and uh, led that LGBT kid to harm themselves in the moment uh, isn't enough. We need a broader reckoning. I said that a year and a half ago when Ravi and Wei were arrested and charged, that we need a broader reckoning and we need to take responsibility as a culture and a society uh, for the many ways in which young people like Tyler Clemente are failed by our political institutions, our religious institutions, our families, our schools. But yeah, a young man's going to prison probably for a long time, maybe deported to a country where he's never lived because he did something foolish and pushed somebody who was on the edge over the edge. Other people are responsible for putting that kid, that poor kid, on the edge. And it looks like all of them are going to get off scot-free because we have uh, Robbie's scalp now. Your questions after this? 
Tired of so-called sex-positive shops that don't bother to stock gear for your kink? ExtremeRestraints.com carries what you're into and has a wide selection of fucking machines, chastity devices, ginormous dildos, and more at low prices. Save an extra 10% at ExtremeRestraints.com with coupon code GGG2012. Double that discount if you use it by Friday, March 23rd. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. So I've just gotten out of this thing. It was never officially a relationship or a friendship. It was something in between. And... It's completely shattered my confidence, and I don't know how to get it back. And I'm just wondering if you had any advice. So what the hell happened? Uh, you say you're <laughs> shattered and you're reeling, but you don't tell us what the hell happened. Why are you shattered? What, how, did this, how did this fuck buddy arrangement end, and why are you so devastated? Oh, it was just it was a mess. It's so hard to do. Um, let me see. How do I summarize the past several months? Um, we were never in the, like, same place. Like, she's just got out of a long-term relationship, a couple of them, and, um, is looking for a full-time job, and she's just in this place where she has all these personal goals, and I totally admire her for that and wanting to go for that, but she doesn't want to have a relationship during, while she's going through this. Yet we have this really great chemistry and we keep hanging out. Um, and I, what the kick in the balls whenever I listen to your show is when you say when someone's saying it's not the right time, they're really saying, I don't want to date you. Um, so whenever I hear you say that, like, she really is just not that into me and is being too nice about it. And that's where I'm um, hurt. like, have hurt. lost that confidence. Yeah. Okay. Well, have you ever been rejected before? Yes. That's part of it. Not, not very much, but <laughs> yes, because I, I, not because I'm so perfect, just because I haven't been in a lot of relationships okay, before. Okay. I don't mean to laugh when you're in pain, but... <laughs> But your pain is hilarious. I do. I actually do believe that you know, if you meet somebody and you're nuts about them, it doesn't matter how stressed you are, how busy you are. You know, whether you're looking for a job or not looking for a job, or finishing your dissertation or not finishing your dissertation, you'll find a way to make it work. People don't let that kind of magic go. Um, and you shouldn't fuck this girl if she could take or leave you. If you feel strongly about her, you know, a fuck buddy arrangement really has to be two people who could take or leave each other. But they have a kind of connection. They have a kind of uh, a little bit of buzz. They click, but they both know that they're not that into each other. But if you're super, but if, you know, in a fuck buddy arrangement, if one person is way into the other and they're just settling for what they can have, what they can get, that's going to be emotionally shredding. And you shouldn't do that in a fuck buddy situation. You shouldn't agree to be somebody's fuck buddy that you are crushed out on and in love with because you're just going to get and hurt in the end. We never defined what it was. We never defined that it was a relationship or a fuck buddy situation. We never defined that. And I think that I was always in a, like a constant flux. Like I had no idea what was going on because she was into like marriage and children and things like that. And it, She's it's just, just fucking like with maybe you Yeah, it totally was fucking with me. And I'm... So get like, angry. Trying, I was... Get angry at her. That was cruel. You know, and there, so, you know, she may have been manipulating you. She may have realized you were more into her than she was into you, and so she threw out these, you know, little false promises, or you know, raised your hopes every once in a while, so that she could continue to have access to you. And then she walked away, right? So it's it's over, right? Who ended it? She ended it, and. I just feel pathetic about it because I'm, I'm not able to, like, let it... Like, I feel like I'm able to let it lie, but then I see her again, and... And it hurts. I have, like, a Freudian slip where it's like, oh, but I still like you. Of course, and, you, still, um, of course I, you still like her. You're attracted to her. You're into her. You just need to see her as little as possible and go fuck some other people. 
Oh, in a small town. That's so easy. <laughs> <laughs> Go fuck some other person then. Find, there's got to be at least one other bi or lesbo woman in that town that you can get between the legs of. Okay, I'll work on that. <laughs> I mean, that's what, you need to put some like emotional, social, and sexual distance between you and this woman. See her as little yeah. as possible. You know, tell yourself that it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Whatever, and don't don't settle for whatever bo- scrap she's willing to throw you uh, of her body and her time uh, and whatever romance uh, or false promises she wants to make to you. Just don't 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 go there. Particularly if you're feeling desperate or vulnerable, don't go there. Be strong. Okay. Hold, hold out for someone who feels as strongly uh, about you as you do about them, with whom there is some potential. And if what you've determined after being this woman sort of undefined murky fuck buddy after a while is that it's never going to go anywhere else and she's going to fuck with you and it hurts to see her. Don't see her. Okay. Oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can be strong and I can do that. I, I just have to keep on not seeing her and it's just hard not to want to talk to her when we have this great chemistry, but I can be strong. I can do this. I'm a lesbian, for God's sake. Chemistry sets <laughs> uh, cause sometimes fires and people get burned. You can have chemistry and it can hurt you. Order yourself a big fat vibrator and uh, <laughs> enjoy the fuck out of it. I will do that. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old married straight woman. Since adolescence, I've always had a really high sex drive. I started masturbating really young. I've done it daily for a really long time. Um, in most of my relationships, my libido outpaced my partners by a lot, which really sucked. But my husband is the first guy I ever met who could keep up with me. And we've always had a lot of really great sex. I made a baby, and everything changed. I tore my labia pretty bad during labor, and even a year later, it's still not right. I occasionally get sore and itchy where I tore, but my doctor says there's nothing that looks wrong. Uh, but the real problem isn't the discomfort. I can deal with that. I'm a trooper. It's uh, my libido. It's gone. And I still think about sex and, you know, fantasize, think about the same things turn me on. And I try to masturbate, but it's like the connection between my brain and my pussy has been just severed. And my doctor and my midwife, again, say that this is normal since I'm breastfeeding and I'm on and estrogen-free birth control, what you have to do when you're breastfeeding. But it really bums me out and uh, makes me feel guilty and embarrassed. And I, I feel like I'm missing a part of myself that was really important to me. And I also feel like I'm embodying this cliche of frigid life, which is something I never thought I would be. Um, I've been giving my husband a lot of blowjobs to sort of keep our sex life alive. And it's something that I enjoy doing, I always have, and I'm very good at. And uh, it's something that I don't need that brain-pussy connection to do, just as well as I always have. Uh, But now my husband has started expressing that it's not enough. He's been sort of turning down the blowjobs. He says that he doesn't want sex that's not mutual and that most of his pleasure comes from giving me pleasure. Um, He still comes, but he says that it's just not as enjoyable to him. And he's not, you know, insisting on vaginal sex or, or he doesn't want me to fake anything. You know, he offers me oral but it just doesn't appeal to me. Like I don't want anything down there when I don't feel turned on. Um, what should I do? I want our sex life to stay alive. <laughs> and it's distressing to me that blowjobs aren't cutting it, but I also can't do much more. I can't fake arousal and pleasure that I'm not feeling. Is our sex life doomed to become a sad domestic cliche? Help, please help me. I can't help you. Only the passage of time can help you. Uh, there's really nothing uh, you can do. You've ID'd the problem. You're on uh, you know, estrogen-free birth control. You are breastfeeding. These are horny non-inducers. These are deflators. Both these things. And you know, a lot of women who are breastfeeding um, aren't terribly interested in sex with their husbands during that stage of uh, their child's development because they feel, you know, their bodies are constantly uh, in demand in this way that's sort of quasi-intimate. And uh, after a day of breastfeeding, they kind of don't want to be touched anywhere by anyone, uh, including their husbands. These are things that I would hope that you and your husband knew about and discussed going in and can acknowledge is temporary, that it will not always be thus. You know, Terry and I had a baby. We were lucky. We got our pre-baby bodies back Really quick. 
uh, because we adopted. Um, and neither of us breastfed. Uh, but this is something you know going in. And, and we had a very similar experience where, you know, our sex life kind of cratered for a while, not because we were breastfeeding, but because we were with an infant and up all the time and, and uh, bottle feeding all the time and up around the clock. And we were just exhausted. And one of the sort of damaging ways parents can think when they have young kids uh, is that it will always be thus. But these things pass. They pass away. You're up to your elbows and diapers and bottles and you kind of despair from the workload and you and you get into this sort of stinking thinking where you, you, you're convinced uh, that nothing will ever change and this is your life now forever. And then one day the bottles disappear and one day the diapers disappear because the kid is shitting in the toilet and one day the sex life kicks back into gear. And what you two need to do right now is look forward to that day without letting yourselves get bitter about what is possible for you sexually at this time. Um, it sounds like your husband's getting a little bitter. It sounds like you're getting a little anxious. And you guys need to dial it back. You need to have a conversation about just the reality of this kind of birth control you're using and breastfeeding uh, and how stressed out and taxed physically you are. And also acknowledging how you know frustrated he is and that you get it and he's you know losing something too right now and all the craziness. And you guys can support each other through this stressful stage while you're both experiencing a little bit of loss sexually and if you don't get bitter uh, and you won't get bitter if you don't rush it and it sounds like your husband's starting to rush it a little bit, when you kick back into gear, you will kick the fuck back into gear. Trust me. Um, it happens. You do. Uh, you do. Your sex life will revive. Your interest in sex will revive once you don't have that kid strapped to your tit 24 hours a day. I would encourage you, please don't be one of those crazy – oh, God, the calls. Please don't be one of those crazy bitches who breastfeeds until the kid's eight or six or four. Real quick, you want to get them off the tit. Uh, you know, after they've gotten all your immunities and the superpowers that come with breast milk, but relatively quick, you want to get your tits and your life back and your sex life back. Um, and then it'll come back. It'll come back. Just trust it. The tide will come back in. In the meantime, you say you've spoken to your doctor about uh, your torn labia and about sort of lingering physical issues. Uh, I would encourage you to speak to other doctors. Uh, when a doctor tells you that there's nothing that can be done, uh, sometimes what they're saying is they have no idea what can be done or they don't know of anything that can be done. That's why it's important to get a second, third, sometimes a fourth opinion. And there are a lot of doctors out there who are kind of sex negative, who when someone comes in and is complaining about a physical issue that just diminishes their pleasure during sex, they don't regard that as something that they need to address medically or should be addressed medically, that that's just something that you should live with. That's a limp you should live with for the rest of your life. So you might want to uh, get a second, third, fourth opinion uh, about what's going on with your labia. And good luck. And don't get bitter. And it comes back. It gets better. It really does. Even for parents with young children. And encourage your husband to jack off a lot. And you know, even if you don't want to be gone down on right now, you can sit on his face for a minute and think of England while he cranks one out himself. There are lots of things you can do to fulfill your uh, responsibilities to each other sexually, not your responsibilities to him solely, to each other. Looking forward to that blessed day when everything kicks back into gear and you're a horny motherfucker again. Tired of so-called sex-positive shops that don't bother to stock gear for your kink? ExtremeRestraints.com carries what you're into and has a wide selection of kinky gear like chastity devices, cock cages, clit pumps, and more. ExtremeRestraints.com also strives to deliver great gear at low prices. Need a fucking machine? And really, who doesn't need a fucking machine? ExtremeRestraints.com has dozens with some options for less than $60. With Extreme Restraints, you can afford to make your fantasies into realities. Save an extra 10% at ExtremeRestraints.com with coupon code GGG2012. Double that discount if you use it by Friday, March 23rd. Hey, Dan. This is uh, Jake from Northern California. Uh, I just had a question. So, basically, over the past couple of days, I've been getting, I'm in high school, by the way, uh, uh, there's been a girl that is out as lesbian, who has been really flirting with me a lot, uh, and I like her, if she was actually interested in me, I would totally, totally be interested in that, um, I don't, I don't really know what to do, because I, you know, I know that I know the difference between somebody just you know flirting for the hell of it and flirting because they actually like you. 
and it seems like she actually likes me. So I'm not sure if that's just me wanting it to be like that. I know you'll probably say, you know, if she's out, then she's out, and she probably knows exactly what she's doing. She, uh, I'm just wondering what I should do. I hate calls like this. I really do. Because what we have here is a lesbian-identified young woman who is flirting with a dude, and that's confusing him because uh, he's a dude and she's a lesbian, and she therefore should not be interested in him sexually, and yet she appears to be, and he does not know what the fuck to do. Uh, and it's one of those cases where somebody wants to be respectful of another human being's professed sexual identity and orientation, and yet he does want to put his penis in her, and so he's calling me. And then I end up giving advice like, not all lesbian-identified Vagina havers are actually 100% lesbians. A lot of them are bisexuals who've rounded themselves up or down, depending on your POV, uh, to lesbian. The lesbian identity, you know, works for them culturally or it's like almost entirely true, but they like a little dick on the side uh, or on the inside. And when I say those things, I get yelled at. So I brought in a guest. Uh, Anna Pulley is an advice columnist. Uh, for Chicago Red Eye and After Ellen, and she writes a social media etiquette column for the SF Weekly. She's a freelancer. She lives in the gay mecca of San Francisco, and she is a lesbian. Are you not? Um, I identify as a lesbian sometimes. <laughs> and yet you have been fucking men. Yes. What is up with that? You wrote this terrific article for Salon called San Francisco Turned Me Straight. I was a hardcore lesbian when I came to the famously freaky city, so how did I start sleeping with men Anna Pulley, how did you start sleeping with men? Um, that's something that I'm still trying to figure out, actually. <laughs> you slipped and fell on a dick. One day, just, you know, San Francisco, it's rainy, the streets are slick, the sidewalks, you know? It's true. Um, San Francisco is a very kind of sexual melting pot place. Um, and I do think that the longer you live here, it tends to queer whatever your notion of normal is. So, you know, for instance, like if you're if you come in super straight, the odds are that you're probably not going to be as straight as you were, you know, a year, two years from now. Um, lesbian was your normal and San Francisco queered your normal. My normal. Um, well, see, I like to say that my heart is gay, but my vagina is less discriminatory. <laughs> my, my sexual identity as of late. Um, although I do like I, I haven't fallen in love with a man since high school. Um so, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a girl. If you want to help me out with that, that would be fantastic. Well, we will direct people to your Twitter feed and they can flirt with you there. Uh, you're on Twitter at Anna Pulley, Pulley spelled P-U-L-L-E-Y. Um, so do you have any advice for this young man about or any guy out there who is on the receiving end of some sexual interest or flirtatious attention from a lesbian identified person? How do they handle that respectfully? Um, I certainly don't see the harm in asking her out in a direct manner, but he should probably go into it knowing that the odds are slim that it's going to go anywhere. And I would tend to look at her behavior more than anything. You know, the lesbian label might not matter too much if her behavior is saying, I'm really into you. Uh, I think in general, you know, there are a lot more people acting on bisexual desires than those who are actually identifying as bisexuals, um, as Many family values Republicans can attest to. <laughs> Why do you think there are so many lesbian-identified bisexual women out there? Uh, well, I think culturally, you know, it's a lot easier for women to be bisexual than it is for men, you know, unfortunately, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think that it's, <laughs> it's easier to bed men uh, regardless of what your orientation is. Uh, you know, with with lesbians especially, you have to put a lot of effort into it. And, are you are you uh, calling men sluts? What's that? Are you calling all men sluts? <laughs> no, well, no, it's true. I, you it's should feel free to say that because I actually yeah. say that all the time because it's fucking true. Men are pigs. Yeah, with we women are. you have to be like, here I made you this painting. Let's uh, talk about poetry for a few weeks, and then then you can work your way up to um, actually trying to sleep with them, but. You know, with men, it's a lot more straightforward. Hey, let's go back to your bar and sex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so your advice to this guy is if, if this lesbian-identified person seems to be expressing interest in him, she very well could be actually bisexual, culturally identified as a lesbian because it's women uh, that she forms sort of love connections with, but she certainly can enjoy a man in a man's body. So he should be receptive to it, be open to it, just ask her out. 
Yeah, yeah, I certainly don't see the harm in it. I mean, sexuality is usually a lot more complex than than it seems. And even if, you know, if someone says, I'm kinky, that could mean a hundred different things. One person's Japanese rope bondage fetish is another person's, like, good old-fashioned foot or choking fetish. So there's just, there's so many ways to read a situation. I don't think that the lesbian label should necessarily stop them from expressing interest in her if it's something that he really wants. Respectfully. And and I think the, the challenge for straight guys is how do you express that interest without seeming to invalidate their lesbianism? Right. Yeah. It can be, that can be problematic. I mean, I certainly wouldn't suggest that he just try to, like, make out with her at a bar. Um, I think that a conversation should take place beforehand, and that's really, like, the most respectful way to go about it. So what's the reaction been to your piece, San Francisco Turn Me Straight? Um, I try not to ever read the comments on Salon. <laughs> oh my God, you're more disciplined than I. What about the reaction from your lesbian identified friends in, in, in SF to this piece? Um, well, the ex-girlfriend that I wrote about wasn't thrilled to <laughs> see <laughs> our relationship aired yet again um, on the internet, which I tend to do. But she also realizes that, you know, it kind of comes with the territory of being someone who writes about sex. So... But in general, it's been it's been a very positive reaction. I got a lot of great Twitter feedback from people, um, and yeah, I certainly I don't I don't regret it at all. <laughs> well, it's an awesome piece, and everyone should go read it. It's up at Salon San Francisco. Turned me straight. Uh, I was a hardcore lesbian when I came to the famously freaky city. So, how did I start sleeping with men? By Anna Pulley. Thanks for joining us, Anna. Thanks so much. It was great talking with you. You can follow Anna on Twitter at Anna Pulley. And you should. She's very smart, and uh, I dig your writing, so thanks for joining us today. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. It's not a new book. Uh, it's a few years old. It's by Christopher Hitchens, the late, great Christopher Hitchens, and it's narrated by Christopher Hitchens. And about the only thing better than reading Hitchens is listening to Hitchens read Hitchens aloud. Uh, God is Not Great on audiobook is amazing. I actually downloaded God is Not Great, the audiobook, and loved that too. So get it. Uh, I recommend it. For your free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I am a college freshman in a committed relationship. Uh, it's long distance. Uh, I've got a girlfriend of four years. Uh, she lives a thousand miles away, but we try to see her once. Uh, we try to see each other once a month. Um, we listen to your podcast, and it's made our love life, romantic life, and communication a lot better. Um, so, a little story about my girlfriend. I was her first kiss. Everything through virginity. Um, and basically, after listening to your podcast for a while, I'm assuming she's gotten a little curious about uh, monogamous relationships because we're long distance. Um, she recently asked me that if we continue a long distance relationship, that she sometime in the future, I'm kind of assuming this is uh, soon, uh, she'd like a path to flirt with guys at a party um, and maybe kiss them because... I was her first kiss, and I am also her only kiss. She's never kissed another guy, and she's worried that if we, you know, continue this long-distance relationship and we're monogamous, that, you know, one day she'll end up with me and she'll have never kissed anybody else. So here's what I'm wondering. Number one, do you think that I should give her this pass? Um, I don't think kissing is that big of a deal. You know, I've never cheated on her. She's never cheated on me. We've never kissed anybody else. However, um, I have kissed people before her, um, and I don't really want to deny her that you know, exploration activity. However, I am, my concern is that I think she'll want more. I mean, I'm assuming that she wants this because she's never had anything, uh, you know, she's never kissed anybody before, but is it unreasonable to think that she will, uh, want more? Um, I also want to know, do you think it's a sign of unhappiness with the relationship and can this slip lead to her wanting to leave me? Once and for all, I'd like to stamp out the notion that, you know, attraction to others, an interest in others, curiosity uh, in the case of your girlfriend about what it might be like to kiss another guy is not all by itself evidence that someone is unhappy in their primary relationship. It doesn't matter how ecstatically in love uh, 
two people are, they will both find other people attractive from time to time, um, perhaps even constantly, maybe even every time they leave the house, turn on the TV, go look at the computer. They're going to see other human beings that perhaps if circumstances were different, if they you know, were in a monogamous relationship instead of a monogamous, they might have a chance at it and they might be able to entertain the possibility of. But everyone is constantly wanting to fuck other people. The end. Uh, and please don't obsess about it. If you – you know, stumble over evidence that your girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife is attracted to other people or, you know, their eye wanders. Um, that doesn't necessarily all by itself mean there's anything wrong with your relationship or that your partner loves you any less. It just means your partner is not a sofa, not an inanimate object, isn't always going to be right where you put it. Uh, I think you should give her the pass, caller. Uh, in part because I suspect uh, often, you know, in a relationship like this, by the time someone asks for that pass, Usually they're asking for retroactive permission. It may have already happened that she was at a party uh, and seized the opportunity to kiss on some boy uh, who wasn't you because uh, – because. Uh, I'm not trying to pour poison in your ear. I'm just uh, telling you the truth <laughs> that uh, when I've been in this situation and got these kinds of requests uh, years and years ago, it was because X had already happened, not because they were uh, – very carefully and slowly planning uh, to do X. Um, you know, if you give her that pass, is she going to want more? Maybe. Could it be the beginning of the end? Maybe. Maybe it could. Uh, but if, if you don't give her the pass, she may still want more. If you don't give her the pass, it may still happen. It may still be the beginning of the end. If you give her a little bit of freedom, which is what she's asking for to explore – uh, you know her own erotic powers, uh, her sexuality, uh, some different people. You know, welcoming you know erotic attention from from other men. Uh, if you give her permission, that may you know unravel your relationship. But you know what? If you don't give her that permission, that may unravel your relationship. There just are no guarantees. She may decide if you say no that she has to end this relationship because she's not going to settle down with or marry or be with somebody forever. Uh, and never have kissed another human being uh, or gotten any sexual or erotic attention from another human being, um, that that may not be a price she's willing to pay to be with you. So it's not as simple as, oh, do I keep her locked down and save the relationship and protect the relationship? Uh, if it were that simple, nobody would ever break up uh, and no one would ever cheat uh, because it wasn't be, ever be allowed. Uh, so I think you should give her the pass and I think you should take a deep breath and I think you should let her be free and I think you should be free yourself. You guys are doing the long distance thing. And you should, as I've advised other people in your circumstance, borrow DADT or you can have it. We don't need it anymore. Uh, don't ask, don't tell. While we're in college, uh, while we're so far apart, um, if something happens, if you make out, la, 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 uh, I'm not going to tell – you don't have to tell me. I'm not going to ask and you don't have to tell. Uh, and same deal for you. You're not going to uh, be asked or have to tell. And then if you do wind up together forever after you guys are out of college, once the long distance thing is over – Wait five years and then get really fucking shit-faced one night and confess everything that you both did while you were in college with other people. Once you're certain and secure that your relationship is going to last, that you're in it for the long haul, and that info uh, disclosed at that stage won't seem so threatening. Hi, Dan. Uh, 40-year-old dad here calling from the liberal Northeast. Um, so my daughter, we call her Harriet. Five years old, and she has a friend, Joan, who's six, that she idolizes. And uh, Joan, right from the get go, has always been ahead of the ball, ahead of the curve, just very astute, very aware of subtle social cues. She's a little bit manipulative. She's not afraid to lie or be secretive and whisper things. And but she's also been very sexual and ahead of the curve on all of that as well. And my daughter's sort of this just beacon of pixie purity. Of course, I got my dad eyes on. So um, anyway, we're over their house and my wife comes downstairs and she's like, okay, well, the girls have been upstairs putting things in their vaginas. And I'm like, what, 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 what? what? And uh, well, she says she walked into the room and my daughter, Harriet, says, I just put a Lego in Joan's vagina. And she looks at Joan and Joan goes, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. That never happened. That didn't happen. And so my wife says, well, girls, just don't put anything dirty and nothing sharp in your vaginas. Kind of left it at that. She came downstairs and told the story. And my feeling was she just lied to you and you said it was okay for her to lie, first of all. Second of all, 
she's being secretive and you didn't address the fact that she's being secretive and like, shouldn't she be open um, and honest about her sexuality and not feel it's like this taboo thing? Plus like, I don't really, there, there's like all kinds of crazy toys up there and what are they, you know? So my wife, so she's like, what are you going to do? And I start, I'm like, I'm going back up there. And my wife's like, you're the blunt instrument in the family. Let me do it. So, which is a great idea. So my wife goes up and sure enough, they're in a cubby and Joan's got her pants around her ankles. And she looks at my wife. She goes, Oh, my pants just fell down. They just fell right down. And then, so my wife just dealt with it and said, Hey girls, you know, you should, uh, just make sure if you're going to, put anything in your vagina just make sure it doesn't have sharp edges and you don't really want to go in very far and make sure it's clean and uh she also said and you know you can you shouldn't you don't have to hide this from us it's nothing to be ashamed of you're just exploring vaginas which is fine and uh she seemed to deal with like the big issues of and harriet instantly was like mommy that thing with the lego and my wife says yeah and she says it really did happen so it was nice that my daughter it was very cute, but she just wanted to be honest about it. So uh, anyway, she comes down and tells me the whole deal, and I'm kind of like, okay, so she's dealt with the big issues, like being safe and clean and honest. And But then I'm like, but they're five years old. You know, I mean, you just gave them carte blanche to dildo the hell out of themselves up there with whatever, whatever they feel is not sharp, you know, a Ken doll, you know? So... I can't help but want to like protect my daughter's purity, but I know that's like a fleeting thing, but I'm enjoying it. Anyway, I don't know if we went far enough or not. So there you go. Joining me by phone to discuss the general advisability of five and six year old girls sticking Legos in their vaginas is Amy Lang, the founder of birds and bees and kids.com. She's a parenting and sexual health expert. Okay. Amy, just your quick take, uh, Ten words or less, uh, Legos and twats. Good idea, bad idea? Uh, probably a bad idea always, uh, but for five- and six-year-old girls, never a good idea. So, yeah, they do seem to be erring on the side of kind of squish-brained sex positivity. They don't want to give their kids hang-ups, so they're kind of smiling on something that I don't think they should have smiled. And I was sort of on the floor in the fetal position listening to that call. How about you? Same. I was shrieking as they were talking and like, no, no. Yeah, that's girls. Uh, five and six-year-old girls don't even necessarily know you can put anything in there, let alone something dirty and sharp like Legos. Mm-hmm. So the good things they did, the main good thing that the mom did was that she was really calm, which is really important. The bad thing is that she essentially gave them permission to put things in their little coochies. And it's not a good idea to be putting things up your hoo-hoo when you're five or six. And, so, you know, the dad, uh, boys yeah. play – so is there a double standard though? Because, you know, little boys, they get boners. They play with their penises. People kind of smile and laugh. They learn not to do it. Uh, but they're not going to injure themselves doing so. Is there a double standard though around girls wanting to explore their hole the way little boys want to explore their pole? That little girls can explore their parts all they want to on their own. Mm-hmm. When they have a partner in exploration, that's not okay. And it wasn't about putting things in vaginas isn't about like touching your clitoris, which feels good. That's awesome. I'm down with that. But vaginas are when they're with little girls, their hands are dirty. They need to have lots of talk about clean hands. Only you, privates are private because, you know, Legos lead to fingers, lead to lead to penises, which is exactly what this mom said. She said, don't put anything sharp in there. That's how it happened to me, actually. Legos, fingers, penises. Um, So, you know, you don't, I don't want to pathologize these little girls or anything, but it's the question I would, you know, I would have freaked out about as a parent, you know, if I had a a little girl was, how did they know to put something in their vagina? How did she know? Um, mm-hmm. uh, is, has someone else put something in her vagina? Did she just land on this all by herself? That seems like the calm conversation that the other girl's parents need to have with their little girl. Yeah, and Where I is this coming in, from? I checked in with my experts, and I, we both were mutually agreed that this little girl, the six-year-old that knows enough to play a game to put things in a vagina. And lie about it. 
and lie about it. And then her other sexual, she's a little sexually precocious, which that can happen. You know, we don't know what kind of information she's getting in her family, but she probably should be evaluated just to be on the safe side. Not because, you know, it could just be that she figured that out on her own and was sharing with her friend, but it could also be that Uncle Creepy showed her how to put things in her vagina. And so the only way to know that and to make sure that girl is safe is to have her go through an evaluation process. And rain.org, R-A-I-N-N.org can connect that family to to help for that girl. So, so that girl, the six-year-old that was sort of sounds like she's the instigator, she probably needs to just have a just a second look just to be safe. And then the five-year-old, she's probably fine, but there needs to be a very clear conversation about, you know what, when you play games with your friends, it should not include putting things in your vagina. Mama was smoking crack and out of her fucking mind. Okay <laughs> oh, that, that's pretty strongly China. stated there. Mama was smoking yeah. crack and out of her fucking yeah. mind. Yeah, she was just, I mean, way off base with that. She gave her, them permission. I mean, the way she talked, she just gave them permission to be putting things in each other's vaginas. And it's just not a safe way to play. And it is an error that I've seen other parents who don't want to seem sex negative, who don't want to give their kids hang-ups or issues, will uh, sign off on something that perhaps they shouldn't sign off on. As if there's no uh, middle ground between blowing up and freaking out and shaming your kid and passing out permission slips that your kid isn't old enough or mature enough to have or handle. And there is a middle ground where you very calmly sort of unpack why this is not the right time in your life and your body's development, that these are private parts. You don't do this with others. You know, one, you know, it's your body, it's your vagina, it's yours to explore. But at this moment in time, it's just not the right time for you. That Your time will come and you could really hurt yourself uh, because it isn't time uh, when you're five to be sticking things in any of your holes exactly. except the hole in your face and then only food. Yeah, and beautifully put. And I think beautifully put. And I think, I mean, really it is. I mean, it's just so funny because I think that we really want to be sex positive, which is great, but we don't need to be stupid, I mean, you know, about it. It's like, look, at, think of things in terms of, is this adult-like behavior? Is this kid-like behavior? Kid-like behavior looks like it's curiosity. It's often spontaneous, comes out of the game. The kids are usually good friends. They're having fun. There's nothing, it's sort of a fun vibe about it. When you cross that line to sexualize, which this is sexualized, putting things in vaginas at five and six, sexualized means adult-like. So does it feel adult-like? Does it look adult-like? Does it sound adult-like? That little internal voice in most of us, you know, like you said, you're curled up in the fetal position. I, tr- I was also curled up in the fetal position, shrieking and rocking, but um, not that bad, actually. But, you know, this idea, we have to understand that kids' behavior, when it looks adult-like, that's alarming. Kids' behavior shouldn't look adult-like until later on. So, like, when right. puberty is raging, like 13, 14. And that can be, co- really you know, that can be coincidental. We're not saying that anybody is uh, being molested here. That, right. That any, you know, a kid can just happen on this. She could have been accidentally exposed mm-hmm. to something, to some images, mm-hmm. and that could have put it in her head. Or she could just, you mm-hmm. know, have landed on it. I, my concern is the lying and also uh, the sense of shame about it. You know, I, as a parent, there, you know, there are times when – very young kids explore, but they're just there's no shame. They don't right. they don't freak out when you know right. you're, they discover them uh, yeah. because they it's not about shame yet. Uh, right, exactly. So that exactly. there's some like yeah. shame evidenced here about yep. the lying and the hiding and the crawling into cubbies yep. and my pants fell down and that there's yep. there may those are red flags and there needs to be uh, some follow up. They need to look into it. Which does not mean that you know if you get to the bottom of it, you're going to find a creepy uncle or anybody else being creepy. Uh, but you do need to check that shit out. Exactly, exactly. And sexualized does not mean sexual abuse. That's kind of one way to look at this. And we get confused, and we get really confused about kids' sexual behavior in general because we don't understand that it's about bodies and curiosity and learning, and they're open and fun, and there's no shame, and it's maybe sometimes a little shy. But really, it doesn't look like grown-up sex when it's natural and healthy. It looks, it, I mean, it, it's not natural and healthy when it looks like grown-up sex, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So uh, don't assume the worst, but follow up. Just in case. Follow up, follow up just exactly. in case. Just um, in case. Can you hang on for one more call, Amy? Oh, totally. Yeah, I'm happy to. Hi, Dan. Um, I am a single parent raising a three-and-a-half-year-old boy. I kind of... I've had a couple situations recently where I'm like, I wonder what Dan would say about this. Um, my son has success. He's like successfully potty trained, but he's got this new obsession with telling me I'm going to pee on you. And 
I just don't know what to say when he tells me that because I want to be like, hey, we don't pee on people. But, you know, some people do pee on people. So I don't know if that's anti-fetishist or if that's just what you have to tell your three-year-old to get them through, like, the rest of the few years. And what is this big thing with peeing on people? Like, is that a guy thing? Is that, like, he's, like, primal marking his territory? But I told him, you know, we don't pee on people. And he says, I pee on me. I'm like, he's already talking back. He's three and a half. So what do you think about that? And I'm also kind of curious about, like, I've already walked in on him with, like, a raging boner. Like, he's just laying on the couch reading his books, and then he's got this massive heart on all of a sudden. Like, already. He's three and a half. So I know that that's normal, and I pretty much know how to handle it, but, like, it's just mind-boggling that it's happening already. Okay, here we have another, you know, parent who's sexualizing something that doesn't need to be sexualized. This is just a kid with a toy. He's got a squirt gun and he wants to squirt mommy. And she's looking at this through the uh, the prism of, oh, this could be a sexual fetish. And I don't want to shame him by telling him it's wrong to pee on people because some people like to pee on people. To, to you, mom, I would say, go ahead and shame him a little bit because people who like to pee on people, it's about transgression. And that transgression doesn't mean anything if it's not kind of wrong and dirty and nasty. But she's seeing this as kind of sexual coming from a three-year-old. I, I just don't perceive that. No, it's not. Three-year-olds are all about like bodies and playing and curiosity. And you know why he wants to pee on her? Because it's hysterically funny. It's funny to him, and frankly, it is kind of funny. I mean, the thing squirts that you know, sort of at will, and he can, you know, and he can, he's being creative with it. And they're paying so much attention to peeing right now that he just has, you know, what a great little mind. He's like, all right, let's find something else to do with this thing. So I think that I, I'm really not a fan of shaming kids, but I think just being really clear with him about, you know what, sweetie, it is not okay to pee on other people. It's kind of gross. So the place we pee is in the potty, or you know what, you can pee outside. Come on, let's go pee on a tree because then he can experience the full joy of being able to pee uh, standing up outside. Or pee in the snow and write your name. or Right, or pee in the bathtub or in the shower or whatever, but just redirect his behavior. And it's okay to be firm with him. And, you know, he's not, I mean, I just kind of cracked up with the idea of like, oh, my God, anti-fetishist. It's like, okay, Dan Savage, you've done your work. (laughs) (laughs) This mama is so sex positive that she's worried about her three-year-old getting a message of anti-fetishism. Which- uh, and, uh, uh, please, don't, please, please don't put that on me. I think that's oh. crazy. It's just like saying in the previous call, saying to you know little girls who are putting Legos in their vaginas, that, oh, you can put anything you want to at your vagina at age five. Just make sure it's not sharp or dirty. Uh, so if it's a freshly washed kitten, go for it. Well, you're part of the sex positive movement. I'm, I'm sex positive, but I'm brains positive, too. And, yeah. and both these calls, there's like kind of a brain deficit. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think also the other piece of that call with her uh, three-year-old with a raging heart on. So just we just got to be really clear. It's really important that you don't use sexualized adult-like language to describe your child's body because he three-year-olds don't have raging hard-ons. Uh, guys watching porn get raging hard-ons. Guys in porn have raging hard-ons. 15-year-old boys, adults have raging hard-ons. Three-year-olds have erections and they should know that he's had he should know that's an erection and it's a totally normal thing for his body to be doing babies have erections in utero i mean you are wired to go you male people the girls too are wired to go yeah she's she's looking at her son laying on the couch reading a book with an erection thinking he is thinking dirty thoughts and you know or thinking sexual thoughts and he's not his body is just making sure that all systems are functioning normally and exactly. there's spontaneous erections is what they're called exactly. uh, sometimes they even happen to adult men where they get a boner for no particular good reason they're not thinking anything dirty necessarily right uh, or sexy uh, i shouldn't use dirty that's dirt right. negative um and, and so mom when you see your 3 year old son with a boner you shouldn't think anything of it just exactly. It, it'll go away in a moment or two and you don't have to address exactly. it or talk to him about it. Uh, and you shouldn't talk to him about it at that age because that would be shaming and you don't want to you don't want right. to do that. I mean, you can talk to him about it if he asks, like, what's going on? I mean, I know plenty of boys who are like, what the hell is this? My <laughs> penis. Or like they announce, look, mom, my penis is standing up. And the moms are like, oh, my God, what do I say? And it's really simple. You just say, oh, yeah, you've got an erection. Totally normal thing for your body to be doing. It'll go away in a minute. 
and then it goes away in a minute. Thank you, Amy Lang, for joining us. Amy Lang, founder of birdsandbeesandkids.com, parenting and sexual health expert. Thanks for making time for us today. My pleasure. Anytime. Hi, Dan. I'm calling about episode 282 uh, about the panty thief. Just wanted to give a heads up to anybody who might be wanting to take that advice who sleeps with vagina havers, particularly femi with vagina havers. Don't steal the $40 undies that go with the $70 bra, please. You know, steal the, the everyday undies. That's fine. Hi, Dan. I have tried every condom under the sun, and I still don't like them. But luckily, I'm a fucking adult who cares about the sexual health and happiness of the people he sleeps with. So I wrap it up every time. Even though I'm not the biggest fan, it's better to be healthy and safe and live in the fucking 21st century than it is to be a whiny, shitty bastard who tries to convince women to do things they don't want to do. Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for your recent rant about uh, women's rights and contraceptives and the idea of sending photos of our genitalia to our congresspeople. Um, Two comments. Uh, One is that as someone who used to work as a staffer for a congressperson, nothing would drive people more crazy than actually sending them PDFs to their offices. That would truly flood their accounts more than actual photographs flung around. The second is that, as you very well know, and I'm sure if you thought about it, you would have mentioned it, it's really difficult to take a picture of a woman's actual vagina. We're taking a picture of our external genitalia, which is the vulva and labia. I think that would still make the point without having to stick a camera up our vaginas. Ow. Hey, Danny, boy, the queers are calling. Listen, a long-time fan of the show. I've liked it since before it became a podcast, actually, and... uh also a long-time furry, and, uh, you know, I've been into that since before they decided to call it furry, and, hey, you know, they didn't put that to a photo. I wouldn't have anything to say about it, but now, uh, since having listened to episode, what is it, 282 with Dr. Jesse Baring, it was certainly interesting listening to you talk to the, uh, the good doctor, uh, more entertaining, I think, than enlightening, and, uh, but I got to tell you, a part of me just kind of died on the inside when you asked me uh, what the connection between... Uh, Zophiles and uh, furries are. No, I don't dress up like an animal. I don't get up in this gang frottage thing. And as to whether there's any kind of a connection between, uh, like, the zoos and the furries, you know, I just, I, you know, if you look hard enough, you could probably find evidence to fit your theory. Uh, but uh, in much the same way that you could probably find video of two gay guys pooping on each other, but that doesn't mean that that's what they're all about. I guess, uh, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm still a huge fan of the show. It's just if you're asking me, uh, it's uh, more a matter of uh, trying to try and talk about me by who I am as opposed to defining me by what I am. And uh, then we run into these problems. <laughs> hey, hey, take it easy, and, and, and I'll, I'll see you around. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. Give us a call. Leave a question or a comment. We'll try to get to as many of your calls and comments as we possibly can. If you want to leave a comment uh, on a podcast, for sure, guaranteed, go to thestranger.com slash lovecast. And there's a comment thread for every single show. You can follow me if you want instantaneous Dan Savage reactions to breaking news on Twitter at fake Dan Savage and you can read me constantly running my mouth at slog.thestranger.com uh, 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast me and the tech savvy at risk youth we'll be back at you next week another installment of Savage Lovecast thanks for downloading